0: Our cases here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed involve physical, mental, and emotional trauma. Please listen with caution and care. Reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, if you or someone you love needs help. No one is alone. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello everybody and hello Becky. How are you? Hello everybody and hello Melanie. How are you? I'm doing good today. Good. Good R- to see your face. Yeah, I know it's been a while since we've been together recording. Yeah. It's so, good to see you. Good to be back in our closet recording. We're yes. gonna have to post a picture someday of where we record because it's the best. Our closet's so cool. <laughs> yes, we love it. <laughs> um, you're born and raised in the West, mm-hmm. right Becky? Yep. Did, you, did you ever have a cowgirl phase? I actually did. One of my dearest friends, Nicole Cotton, I'm going to say her name, taught me how to ride horses in high school. She was so patient with me, and I love her so much. She passed away um, years ago, and I miss her all the time. So she was hilarious. She was super spunky and feisty, and to see Nicole handle a horse with her same personality, is like one of my favorite memories ever. So yes, Mel, to answer your question, I currently have a pair of pink cowboy boots in my closet. Oh nice. How about you? Um, I don't know if I ever had a cowgirl phase. I never really dressed like that. I have ridden horses before and I love country music. Oh, you so- listen to country? Well, we've been to country concert together. Oh, I guess we have. Yeah, I yeah. don't listen to country. Then why did we? you love Garth Brooks when we went? Well, everyone loves Garth Brooks. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, who doesn't love Garth? Garth Brooks doesn't count. Oh, he doesn't count as country. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, well, today we are traveling back in time to the 1960s where the danger didn't come from a man in black on a horseback with a six-shooter. It was a friend hiding behind a mask of charm. America in 1965 was a mixed bag I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch, was by The Four Tops. A poppy fun song was at the top of the charts as race riots were breaking out in Watts, California and across the nation. Sugar Pie Honey Bunch is such a good song. Such a good song. I wanted to start singing as I was reading that. I know, right? I love Motown. So, Um, Malcolm X was assassinated and NASA Mariner 4 flew by Mars for the first time, giving mankind a glimpse of the red planet. Yet with all of this going on in the country, Americans made time each week to sit down as a family and watch Bonanza, the nation's highest rated television show. Have you ever seen Bonanza, Becky? Oh, of course. I was raised on Westerns by my dad. Love you, dad. I I have not seen it, but I've heard about it. Have you? Yes. Okay. And you know that the theme song? Yes, I do. Dun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Bonanza was an adventure show set in the Wild West. America has always had a fascination about the Wild West. In 1965, Tucson, Arizona was one of these Wild West communities that had recently grown into a pretty big city. Tucson had grown in population from 85,000 to 300,000 since World War II. Yeah, most residents were transplants to the area, not born Arizonians. People came from all over to carve out their home in the Wild West and raise their families. In Tucson, the teenage hangout place was the Speedway. It was a street with gas stations, bowling alleys, diners, and parking lots where teens could park and talk. Yeah, Mel, where did you hang out when you were a teen? Um, we would go to the drag races a lot of times and hang out there. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, like most Americans out there, our teenage hangout was Denny's. There you go. Everyone has a Denny's and I ate a lot of moons over my hammy (laughs) in high school. So, so the center of the Speedway was the Hi Ho, a teenage nightclub. Counterculture, the way of thinking, and attitude in opposition to the social norms was the name of the game. They were all about disrupting society. The teens in the 60s didn't reflect the attitude or lifestyle of their baby boomer parents. They had big ideas about the world and out-of-the-box thinking. In true teenage fashion, they loved nothing more than to freak out the adults. In Tucson, they had the Speedway, a place to get in trouble, party, and make out in the back of your parents' car, (laughs) Mal, The schools in Tucson, though beautiful, were very overcrowded. The city was doing all they could to accommodate the growing youth population. They dealt with overcrowding by having schools with split sessions. So they had a rotating schedule with release time at 12 p.m. noon and then release time at 6 p.m. Yeah, can you imagine that? sounds terrible. Yeah, the teens of Tucson had plenty of downtime to get into trouble. The teens who liked to get in trouble were called the Speedway Crowd, named after their hangout location. One of their favorite pastimes was an ongoing beer drinking party in the desert. It was called the Boondockers, and it lasted for weeks at a time. The youth were seriously running free, and the police department was trying to keep up. In fact, in 1965, the Tucson Police Department had a staggering statistic. An average of 50 runaways were reported each month. That is so many runaways. Did did you ever run away from home, Mel? No, I always thought about it, but I (laughs) never did. I ran away once. My Uh family will love the story. I was five years old, and I packed my bags because my sisters made me mad, And I ran away to my church teacher's house that was down the street. I was going to go live with her. That's so cute. Mm -hmm. So, well, one of these teens running wild around Tucson was Gretchen Fritz. She was a daughter of a prominent heart surgeon. She was rich and pretty and loved the attention from the boys. Her parents had been trying to deal with her behavior problems, like sneaking out of her window at night and having a bad attitude about school. One of her teachers described her as erratic, subversive, a psychopathic liar. I mean, that's taking it a little too far for a teacher, like, calling kids psychopathic. Yeah, let's not do that. That's, that seems really brutal. Yeah. In August of 1965, the Fritz family had just gotten home from a California family vacation. The parents had an obligation that evening, so Gretchen and her little sister, Wendy who was just 13, went out to catch a movie at the Cactus Drive-In. I've never been to a drive-in. Have you? You've never been to a drive-in? Yes, I I have. I would love to. They're fun. We don't have one in the town that we live in, Mm -mm. so we'll have to go somewhere else to go. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Gretchen and her little sister going to a movie. That sounds fun. Yeah. Wendy, at just 13, was a beautiful little girl who still liked to play with dolls. She wasn't rebellious like her big sister and always obeyed her parents. Dr. James and Nancy Fritz would see their children for the last time at 7.30 p.m. James and Nancy Fritz called the police and reported that this wasn't normal behavior. The girls would never take off like this together, yet the police didn't take the disappearance very seriously. Remember, they have dozens of runaways per month at the time. Police did put out an APB, an all-points bulletin, out on gretchen's car which was a new 1965 red pontiac they thought if they found the car they would find the girls the girls probably took off for a little freedom and they would be home soon the fritz family became so frustrated with law enforcement so they hired a private detective bill hallig hallig was a pro and had a team of investigators working for him They scoured the entire Tucson area, and four days after the girls were last seen, one of Hallig's men found Gretchen's car. It was parked at the Flamingo Hotel near the speedway. Hallig called in the discovery to the Tucson Police Department, and with law enforcement there, they opened the car for inspection. With a huge sigh of relief by her parents, they did not find the girls harmed in any way, But they did discover Gretchen's purse, which still had $20 cash in the wallet. So it seems like probably not a robbery if there's cash left behind. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. The girls were confirmed by driving employees that they did watch the movie, but no one saw anything here at the hotel. They didn't know why Gretchen's car was parked at the Flamingo. Even more strange, investigators discovered the odometer on Gretchen's Pontiac had been disconnected. So why would you do this? Like... What do you think, Mel? I don't know. It seems like maybe whoever drove the car didn't want police knowing how far they had driven. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And like, it's got to be someone who knows cars. Definitely. Definitely. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) With the discovery of Gretchen's car, the Tucson Police Department stepped up the investigation. They interviewed every single teenage boy connected with Gretchen in any way which was a lot of boys. Yes. Um, back to the car, it makes me think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he puts the car in reverse. And then it drives try, through. The, oh, I love to that To try movie. and get the odometer yep. to go backwards. Mm-hmm. After all, she was a gorgeous blonde with a spunky personality. What teenage boy wouldn't want to date her? And go ahead and look at our socials there. You'll see Gretchen was gorgeous. The long list of teenagers, most of them from the Speedway crowd, share different opinions and private details about Gretchen and her life that she did hid from her parents like all teenagers do. Yes. One of these was Charles Schmid. Charlie, or Smitty, as his friends called him, was really useful to law enforcement. At 22, a little older than most of his friends, he was kind of like the unofficial leader of the Speedway crowd. Yeah, the Speedway crowd listened to him, trusted him, and did what he asked them to do. Schmidt was born to an unwit teenage mom and adopted less than a day later by a wonderful and well respected Tucson family. His parents ran the local nursing home caring for the aging community. They made good money and gave Schmidt a small house on the back of their family property and also an allowance of $300 a month. So, this seems like they really spoiled their son. I know $300 doesn't seem like a lot now, but if we convert it for inflation, that's about $2,865 today. That's a lot of allowance. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of money. That's so much money. And I have to mention here, I don't give my kids allowance. you? No, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, my daughter and I are getting our nails done this week, but no, like I don't do it. allowances. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. almost $3,000. That's a lot of of money, especially for a 22 year old. So Schmidt was athletic, handsome, and was a state gymnastics champion in 1960. He almost graduated high school, but had gotten expelled for a really dumb mistake he made. He stole some welding equipment from the high school. Despite not graduating high school, Schmitty was smart and he liked to show it off. He had a massive vocabulary. In fact, Becky is going to share one of his favorite sayings, if if she can. Oh my gosh. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready, I think. I can manifest my neurotic emotions, emanciate an epicurean instinct, and elaborate on my heterosexual tendencies. Oh my gosh. I did so well saying that. You did awesome. That's <laughs> a lot of big words. So... So this is so dumb. I literally looked up the definition of a couple of these, which translates to, I can show you my obsessive emotions set free of voluptuous, like a a gourmet indulgent, that type of thing, instinct and detail my heterosexual preferences. That's what that means. (sighs) Mel, I need a break after that. Let's take a commercial break. Okay, we'll be right back. Thank you, Balance of Nature, for sponsoring Rocky Mountain Red Handed. Melanie, I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Balance of Nature Fruits and Veggies contain 31 flash-dried fruits and vegetables. 31! They are specifically selected for their combined effectiveness in strengthening the immune system, cell protection, and DNA repair. The fruit capsules contain 16 different fruits, including aloe vera, apple, banana, blueberry, cherry, cranberry, grape, grapefruit, lemon, mango, orange, papaya, pineapple, raspberry, strawberry, and tomato. Wow, Melanie, did you need a drink a of water after that? That was a long list. Bounce Nature packs so much into their caplets. Now here's the veggies, Mel, and we know you don't like your veggies. The veggies include a blend of 15 different pure whole vegetables. In the capsules, you'll find broccoli, cabbage, carrot, cauliflower, cayenne pepper, celery stock, garlic, kale, onion, shiitake, mushrooms, soybean, spinach, wheatgrass, yam, and zucchini. So go and order today so you can start taking your Balance of Nature vitamins. Go to balanceofnature.com and use code REDHANDED. Or you can use the link in our show notes. That's balanceofnature.com, code REDHANDED take your vegetables. So thank you so much to our sponsors. Um, back to our story. So stealing the welding equipment was the only trouble that he had ever gotten into in his life. He really was a good kid. Smitty was charming, charismatic, and loved to have big parties and get togethers at his house. Yeah. He loved to sing and play the guitar for his friends He even had like a little stage set up in his living room where he would like host little concerts and perform popular music for his friends. He was really talented. He seemed to be able to draw people in and make them feel a part of the crowd. He was popular with the girls too and had lots of relationships. He was known to kiss and tell and didn't hold back in the locker room talk with his younger friends. The Speedway crowd idolized him despite all of the speedway crowd admiring him he was very insecure about his height he was just five foot three inches tall yeah so to compensate this makes me sad he wore oversized cowboy boots that he would stuff with old rags and then in the boot smell he would put tin cans like where the heel would be to like boost him up a few inches that just sounds so uncomfortable to walk in all the time. That I don't makes know how me you do that. Yeah, it makes me so sad. Like that must have been really painful day in and day out. And just yeah. because you're not you're not comfortable with your height. That's sad, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, that is really sad. Schmid happily talked to the cops and said he would help any way he could. With Schmidt's help, the police gained access to the speedway crowd who were resistant to talk to the authorities before Smitty, as they called him, told him that they could help. One of the Speedway crowd teens was Richie Bruins. At 18 years old, Bruins had already served two terms at the reformatory at Fort Grant in Arizona. He had a big attitude and history of a lot of misdemeanors. There was a widespread rumor, so well known that most people took it as fact, that Richie was involved in a murder. So Richie had been at work at a service station and met an older man, Richie serviced the car. Mel, you remember back in the day, someone would come up and pump your gas. Yes, the only way I remember is they still do it in Oregon. Oh, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. I yeah. don't, I, I'm not as old as you. <laughs> <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> but they would come and like clean your windshield, check your oil, all those things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the man offered to buy some beer for the two to share. So the two men sat and talked for a while and drank the beers. The older man showed Richie a gun, a 38. That he had in the car with him, and Richie sat and played with the gun. Which is really weird to me. Yeah. That was weird. The older man propositioned Richie and wanted him to go to the local motel. So Richie got mad and said no and left. A day after that older man was found dead in a ditch in Tucson, Richie's fingerprints were found all over the man's gun. It's quite the coincidence there, don't Definitely. you think? Mm-hmm. A man from Phoenix ended up getting arrested for the murder, but all of Tucson seemed to know that Richie was the real murderer. Richie just seemed to always be an outsider. He didn't have great social skills and came across as creepy. He tried to be cool and was really pushy with the girls. So luckily, Schmid had befriended him and kind of took Richie under his wing. So whether or not others liked it, Richie was adopted into the Speedway crowd. I wonder if Schmid just kind of sensed that this was a lost kid and just kind of took him in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually really cool. Yeah, police wanted to talk to Richie because it was well known throughout the Speedway that Richie hated Gretchen. Gretchen was just plain mean to Richie, and Richie was terrible right back to her. Yeah, Gretchen wasn't the type of girl to not speak her mind. She had a huge temper and was like really quite volatile. These two were like oil and water around each other. They openly hated each other. It was not uncommon to hear them screaming and swearing at each other. In fact, Richie had said to several people on the speedway that he, quote, wants her dead In quote, Gretchen deserves to die. Okay, I can 100% tell you for certain that I have never wished anyone dead. Mel, how about you? No, never. That's really scary. It's so terrible. Yeah, some bold statements there. Yeah. After questioning, the police suspected Richie for the Fritz sisters' disappearance, but they really had no evidence, not a fingerprint, not a witness. It was all just circumstantial. Mm -hmm. Shortly after the sister's disappearance, Richie was sent by the municipal court to spend his probation for a stalking conviction. Again, he's creepy. Um, He was sent out to Ohio to live with his grandmother. So off he went, but this would not be the last time Tucson hears from Richie Browns. The law enforcement questioning continued, and the next was a girl named Mary French. Mary was just 19 years old, but she seemed much older. People say she was kind of frumpy, not overweight, yet like she seemed shapeless and dull. She rarely smiled and usually had a scowl across her brow. She was a high school dropout, and she really only cared about one thing, Charlie Schmid. A friend of Mary's remembered, quote, Mary was fantastically in love with Smitty. She just sat home and waited while he went out with other girls. Yeah, Mary, no, no, we don't sit around and wait for boys. No, we don't. Well, you need to have some pride, some self-respect. Don't sit <laughs> yeah. around and wait for them. Yeah. So Mary was a wild woman and was a very heavy drinker. When questioned by the police, she had no problem talking about how she hated Gretchen Fritz. She called her stuck up and she said that Gretchen always got whatever she wanted in life. She said she was a rich girl and told everyone who would listen, including the police, that she hated Gretchen Fritz. Mary was considered one of several girlfriends that Schmidt had at the time, though she was completely loyal only to him and didn't date anyone else. Gretchen Fritz was another one of his girlfriends. Mary would fume whenever she saw Charlie flirting, kissing, and spending time with Gretchen. The night before Gretchen and Wendy left for the family vacation to California, there was a big party over at Schmidt's house. At the party, Gretchen and Schmidt were seen kissing. The two had met in the summer of 1964. Schmidt saw Gretchen at the local public pool and just had to meet her. He followed her home and simply walked up to the front door of the Fritz residence and knocked. He seems like he was a really confident guy. Did you ever have a random guy (laughs) just show up on your doorstep? I have never had a boy that I know of follow me home and then knock on my door. I haven't had that either. I did have a boy who would him and his friends would come over and they'd like see if they could see me through my windows at my house oh my gosh that's creepy yeah though. super creepy geez yeah so when gretchen answered the door he said don't i know you're from somewhere and the two talked for like an hour gretchen liked schmidt because of his power among the teens he styled himself after elvis schmidt idolized elvis presley and tried to be the cool rock star kind of guy just so everybody knows <laughs> Becky is the biggest Elvis fan, probably on the entire planet. I am. I love Elvis. Love him. Huge. So back to the party. When Mary saw Gretchen and Schmidt kissing, she completely lost control. A big fight broke out between the two girls. They screamed at each other and even hit and pushed each other. Mary screamed that she was pregnant with Charlie's baby. And Gretchen said she was pregnant too. So we're talking like full on real housewives girl fight going on, Mel. So Mary really did love Schmidt. In fact, she was pregnant with his baby and she felt she needed him all to herself. She was willing to do whatever it took to be with him. So Gretchen, on the other hand, was all talk. She was not pregnant. She just loved the drama and wasn't going to let someone outshine her at that moment. With Mary not confessing to anything, the police moved on in their investigation, For weeks, the police harassed and badgered the youth of Tucson. The Speedway crowd pulled ranks and stopped talking. No one was going to help the police. All law enforcement heard was a lot of, I don't know, from the youth. The questioning got so intense that the parents of the Speedway crowd banded together and they were able to obtain a court order to stop the police from speaking to their children. Law enforcement were completely shut out. Um, that's really surprising a judge would grant that kind of court order. Yeah, I'm really, really surprised that, a, that the judge would, you know, impede on a, an ongoing investigation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, until one evening, the phone rang at the Tucson Police Department. Law enforcement's lucky break came from somewhere really unexpected. Until one evening, the phone rang at the Tucson Police Department. Law enforcement's lucky break came from somewhere really unexpected. Richie Bruins. Richie called all the way from Ohio. Remember, he was out there for his probation. He got a detective on the phone and said he had some information about the Fritz sisters' disappearance. He offered to tell the authorities everything he knew, which was a lot, if he could come back to Tucson. See, Richie felt like he needed to get back to Tucson and protect his girlfriend. He was scared for her safety and had nightmares every night about her death. Richie knew that every single girl in Tucson was in danger. So two months after the Fritz sisters' disappearance, Richie Bronze answered many of the unknowns surrounding Tucson, Arizona. It all started over a year ago. Charlie Schmidt had become obsessed with an idea. He wanted to kill a girl. He said he wanted to experience it. He wanted to know the thrill and the feeling of taking a girl's life from her. Mary French would do anything to become closer to Schmidt, so she helped him find his prey. He played Mary like a puppet and used her love to ensure loyalty. With his charisma and charm, Schmidt, who was the master manipulator, convinced two other teens to help. They lured a 15-year-old girl to the desert so Schmidt could murder her for absolutely no reason at all. On May 31, 1964, Aline Rowe who was 15, had gone to bed early that evening. It had been a busy day. She prepared for a test she had the next day and tried to teach her mother the frug, which was a popular dance craze, while watching the Beatles on TV. Mel, do you know what the fruit is? I don't actually. I actually do. You do? You'll have to show me later. Maybe (laughs) we'll post a video of Becky doing it on Instagram. Oh, but just this idea of Aline, 15-year-old, just watching the Beatles on TV, probably, uh, you know, on Ed Sullivan or something. It just breaks my heart. So she took a bath, washed her hair, and said goodnight to her mom. Aline was a good student who had the dream of becoming an oceanographer, something very far from her day-to-day Tucson life. She was an avid reader of romance novels and loved to have deep talks with her mother, who was a divorced single woman. Um, She'd raised her daughter all on her own. A little later that evening, Norma Rowe, Aline's mom, peeked in on her daughter asleep in her room. She looked so peaceful. Norma, who worked graveyards as a registered nurse, left for the night. Mary French was Aline's neighbor, and the two had spent time together on the grass in front of Aline's house. Mary was much older, but Aline loved the attention and friendship she had with Mary. So Aline wasn't a part of the Speedway crowd and thought it was pretty cool when Mary invited her on a double date. She was only fifteen and a chance to go out with an older boys and like you know hang out with that older crowd. It was just way too tempting to turn down. Besides, she trusted Mary, so Aline had made the plan to go to bed early and sneak out of the house as soon as her mom left for her graveyard shift. Beck, did you ever sneak out? I did. I did one time. That's Are it. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I snuck out quite a bit. I'm a rule follower. Do you know what the funny thing is? Is I never did anything like I wouldn't do during the day. In fact, Nicole, the girl that I talked about earlier in the episode, we would sneak out and just walk around the neighborhood and we thought we were so cool. <laughs> just out when you weren't supposed to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Mary French, Charlie Schmidt, Aline, and her blind date, John Saunders, sped off in Schmitt's car. Aline had no idea that she had just walked into an ambush. Taking Golf Link's road, heading out to the desert, the four teens drank beer and listened to the radio. Later, Mary French would testify that once they traveled far enough into the desert, they all got out of the car and walked down into a wash. They sat in the sand and drank beer and talked. Before the evening had started, Charlie had ordered John Saunders to rape Aline. So Schmidt and Mary said they wanted to go back to the car, and they walked away from Saunders and Aileen. When it came time for Saunders to rape Alline, he just couldn't do it. Schmidt got mad and said he would do it himself. Saunders ran after Schmidt to help him with the attack. Mary, not wanting to see what the young girl's fate would be, headed to the car and stayed there alone in the darkness. She testified she could hear Aileen's screams ring out in the desert air. Oh my gosh, I just can't even imagine this is so heartbreaking it's stomach turning isn't it yeah so after about 45 minutes john saunders ran to mary and said that schmidt wanted her to come out and be with him mary refused and saunders went back to schmidt a few minutes later schmidt ran over to mary sitting in the car she testified that he was excited and was breathing really hard this is so creepy schmidt repeated over and over that he loved mary and that he had killed Aline. Oh my gosh. He really is a psychopath. Yeah. Like no words for this one. Yeah. Schmid had attacked, raped, and killed Aline using a large rock to hit her twice in the skull. The three teenagers, Schmid, Saunders, and Mary worked together to dig a hole. They buried the young girl in the desert among the sagebrush and cactus. No marker, just cold, dry earth. Mary testified of seeing Aline laying on her back with blood all over her face and head. When they returned to the car, they wiped the car clean of Aline's fingerprints. Even before the murder, Schmid was telling everyone in the Speedway crowd that he wanted to quote, kill a girl, and he was quote, going to do it tonight. He bragged quote, I think I can get away with it. After killing Aline, Schmid continued to brag. Richie said that everyone in the Speedway crowd knew about the murder. These teens adored and feared their leader. No matter what he did, they somehow remained under his spell. No one had broken under the pressure of the police. He's almost like a cult leader for these group of kids. Yeah, and I mean, this was the little bit wilder crowd, but like, they're they're good kids. They're just, it's just amazing to me that this was common knowledge in the Speedway crowd, and no one said anything. Yeah, and he got so many of these kids to help him out in planning yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So not one teen had told his secret. Only Richie had dared to let the cops get a peek of what was behind Schmid's fake smile and charm. Even Gretchen had known about the rape and murder of Aline Rowe, and she was still infatuated by him. In fact, Gretchen used Aline's murder as a tool to try and control Schmid. She threatened to tell her father and the police about the murder if he did something that she didn't like. Well, Schmid had enough of Gretchen. On August 16th, 1965. So I just, I wonder if Gretchen was scared of him or, I mean, what do you think? I can't imagine not being at least a little bit scared, but she was trying to keep the power by saying, I'm going to tell the police if you don't, but that's, that's gotta be scary. Yeah. That's just, it's crazy to me. Richie Bruins talked to the cops about how toxic Gretchen and Schmid's relationship had been. He said he and Gretchen were always fighting. She didn't want him to drink or go out with the guys or go out with other girls. She wanted him to stay home, call her on the phone, and be punctual. First she would get suspicious of him, then he'd get suspicious of her. They were made for each other. They were horrible for each other. Yes. Gretchen would drive past his house, and if there were other girls over there, she would jump out of the car and scream at them. Schmidt became irate with her after she had jumped an entire bottle of shoe polish all over his car. Schmidt had equal parts obsession and hatred for Gretchen. Yeah, he would try to impress her, but then turn around and call her, I'm sorry, I hate this word, but he'd call her a whore. She would let him sneak into her bedroom window at night. Yet, she would scream and swear at him at the same time. Schmidt even reported her to the Tucson Health Department for spreading venereal diseases. They were basically the definition of a very dysfunctional relationship. These two are the worst. They're so unhealthy. And yeah. like to, to try to turn her into the health department is just bizarre. Yeah. So while the Fritz family was away on vacation, Schmidt enjoyed his freedom away from Gretchen. He had night after night of parties at his house without Gretchen watching his every move. When Gretchen returned from vacation, she heard of all the dirty details of these parties. Yeah, Gretchen and Wendy went to the drive-in movie together and heard that Smitty, remember that's his nickname, was having another party. Gretchen had had enough of Schmid doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. She was going to put an end to it. She took her little sister Wendy and drove over to his house to confront him. But when Gretchen and Wendy arrived, there was no party going on. It was a lie to get Gretchen over to his house. The couple began to, of course, fight, and Gretchen raged over his other relationships with the other girls. Schmid grabbed a guitar string from his guitar case and used it to choke Gretchen to death. She died by ligature strangulation. After he had killed Gretchen, Schmid got Wendy from the other room and did the same to her mel wendy was just 13 years old and it's so sad because she was just an unfortunate casualty in this very very toxic relationship she shouldn't have been there yeah so sad schmidt took the bodies of the fritz sisters out to the trunk of his car and drove to the tucson desert and dumped the girls not even burying them not even giving them that respect he then returned to the house and drove Gretchen's car over to the Flamingo Hotel and left it there for the authorities to find. Richie Bruns told the police that three weeks after the murders, Schmid told him he had killed the sisters and he needed help moving the bodies to the burial spot he had prepared in the desert. So here's the statement from Richie. Mel and I will take turns reading it. Quote, Smitty stole the keys to his old man's station wagon and then he got a flat shovel, the only one we could find. We went to Johnny's and got a burger, and then we drove out to the old drinking spot in the desert. It's where we used to drink beer and make out with girls. So we parked the car and got the shovel and walked down there, and we couldn't find anything. And then Smitty said, wait, I smell something. We went in opposite directions, looking, and then I heard Smitty say, come here. I found him kneeling over Gretchen. There was a white rag tied around her legs her blouse was pulled up and she was wearing a white bra and capris. Then he said, Wendy's up this way. I sat there for a minute. Then I followed Smitty to where Wendy was. He had the decency to cover her except for one leg, which was sticking up out. So he grabbed the rag that was around Gretchen's legs and dragged her down in the wash. It made a noise like dragging a hollow shell. It stunk like hell. Then Smitty said, wipe off her shoes. There might be fingerprints. So I wiped them off with my handkerchief and threw it away. We went back to Wendy. Her leg was sticking up with a shoe on it. He said, take off her tennis shoe and throw it over there. I did. I threw it. And then he said, now you're in this as deep as I am. This is just so haunting. And this this story is just so terrible. It's just so sad to hear. These two beautiful girls, sisters in the desert, And with Wendy just being 13, it's just terrible. So uh, let's take a quick break, shall we, Mel? Let's do it. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature promo code red handed. Welcome back. Thank you to our sponsors. So the week is following the Fritz sisters murders, Schmidt began to completely unravel Mel. His friends noticed him acting very strange. Out of nowhere, he would scream and punch his fist through the walls in his own house. He ran through his neighborhood in his underwear and talked about how God was going to punish him for his sins. He decided he wanted to get married for some reason, so he wed a 15-year-old girl who was a stranger to the Speedway crowd. Uh, Can we say, where are her parents? I don't know. Don't you have to sign off on... An underage child? Maybe not back then. It's 1965. Oh, that poor girl just needed to run away and hide. Mm -hmm. The mask that Charles Schmidt had worn so well for so many was starting to slip. On November 10th, 1965, just one week after Richie's phone call to the Tucson Police Department, John Saunders, Mary French, and Charles Schmidt were arrested. They found Schmidt doing yard work outside of his little house. He had pancake makeup on his face. And a thick patch of adhesive plaster on his nose. So just so everyone knows, pancake makeup, you have to think of like like old Hollywood movies. It's just a really, really thick, almost like plaster <laughs> on your skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And check our social medias. We'll post pictures of that as well. So he reeked of sweat and waste. And it was obvious that he had not showered in a while. He had drawn in a large beauty mark on his cheek with grease paint. It was huge. He bragged that he had broken his nose in a fist fight, which was actually a lie. His oversized boots were packed with old rags and tin cans were placed in the heel of the boot to make him appear taller. He did not resist arrest at all. He told police that he looked like Elvis Presley. Uh, he seemed on the brink of completely losing his mind. The charisma that he once had and his flocks of admirers were all gone. And can I tell you, I hate that he's comparing himself with Elvis. I hate it. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is the worst. The Tucson authorities gave Richie Brunes immunity for his help in solving the murders. Mary French and John Saunders agreed to testify against Schmidt for reduced sentences. The Speedway crowd fell out of the trance with their Smitty, as they called him. They snapped back into reality, and all of Tucson couldn't believe how far they had fallen under his spell. Details started to spread between the teens of Schmidt's crazy ideas and behavior that no one had talked about before. Either they ignored the signs, or they didn't have the courage to say anything. It was discovered that Schmidt couldn't even sing or play the guitar Now get this, he had hidden a speaker and would play reel-to-reels of another musician singing and playing the guitar. He was acting as if it was him performing on stage. Oh my goodness, that is so crazy. (laughs) Um, Fast forward about 30 seconds if you are extremely sensitive about violence against animals. Um, A friend of Schmid saw him tie a string to the tail of his pet cat. His pet cat. It was his cat. He started to swing it around his head until he beat the poor cat against the wall until it was dead. When Schmidt saw the horror on his friend's face, he calmly said, You feel compassion? Why? It's just so sad. Creeper. I mean, we obviously know violence against animals is one of the biggest red flags for a serial killer. Yeah, so actually we're going to talk about that. So let's talk about the McDonald Triad. It's the idea of three signs, you know, usually manifested in childhood that are extremely common in violent criminals. Researcher and psychiatrist J.M. McDonald published these ideas in 1963. Obviously, completely normal and nonviolent people can suffer from some of these habits, but it's surprising how accurate these have been during the last 50 plus years. They really are. So number one is bedwetting. He believed that ongoing bedwetting for years past toilet training was an indicator. Number two is fire setting. Setting fire to small objects and acts of arson is also an early sign. Mm -hmm. And as Mel just talked about, the most horrific number three, abuse and torture of animals. And of course, like this should never be taken lightly. No, never. So I mean he's definitely abused animals. I wonder if Schmid was like to light things on fire or if he was a bedwetter. It'd be interesting. I know. Mm -hmm. Interesting to know. Charles Schmid was able to get a large group of teens to stand by and let him murder three of their fellow teens in this small town these were not bad kids they were just led astray by this psychopath and that's what's like so scary to me about this story it's impossible to know how many kids like are we talking a handful dozens maybe even most of the youth in tucson you know how kids talk they all knew about these crimes these murders and they did nothing Yeah. They told no one, not their parents, not police, even under the heavy questioning that they were under, they told no one, which is crazy. It's crazy to me that they were able to endure that, that constant questioning. And I'm just, I'm so surprised that a couple of them even didn't get together and, you know, say, Hey, this is crazy, yeah. but no one. Only Richie was the one that stood up and talked to the police. They were definitely under his spell. Mm -hmm. So Richie Bruins, he published a book. It's called I, a Squealer, um, which was his first hand account of the murders. I think Richie's amazing that he stepped forward. I gotta say that's a terrible title of a book. (laughs) It is a terrible (laughs) title. I'm sure it's a great book though. (laughs) For their part in the death of Aline Rowe, Mary French was sentenced to four to five years in prison and John Saunders was sentenced to life in prison. Both testified against Schmidt. So, Becky, what do you think of those sentences? Mary French only got four to five years, and then John Saunders got life. What do you think? Oh, this is a hard one. I think, I think that obviously they're lost youth, but they still contributed to the murder. Mary French, I mean, it sucks, but four to five years for luring a girl to her death, and you knew it? Yeah. Um, I think she should have gotten more. I think John, I think he does deserve life in prison. It's interesting because we don't, I mean, life in prison is such an open term. Yeah, Is that 15 years? Is that 30 years? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's really sad. I mean, they're just kids, but they have to pay for their mistake. I agree. Charles Howard Schmid Jr. was given two death sentences for three murders of Aline Rowe, Gretchen Fritz, and Wendy Fritz. During his trial, Schmiel was extremely well-behaved, polite, and even chatty with law enforcement, the judge, and the officials in the courtroom. Yeah, he was definitely a charming man when he wanted to be. He was able to keep up this charade of being friendly and happy for a really long time. I think he loves the attention. He's a narcissist, so he actually probably really enjoyed the trial, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. His trial gained national headlines as an example to Americans about the depravity of the counterculture of young people. It scared people from coast to coast, yet it did not stop the social revolution of the 1960s. Charles Schmid's death sentence was commuted due to the Supreme Court ruling in 1972 that invalidated most death sentences. Yeah, later that year, Schmid escaped from state prison after he hid himself in a hollow gymnastics exercise horse to escape very creative don't you think he was captured just a few days later dressed as a woman and wearing a wig if you would like to see what he looks like there are plenty of pictures of him online you can see for yourself um we will post pictures of our victims um so that we can remember them yeah, they're really beautiful. So, In 1975, Charles Schmid was stabbed by two inmates over 20 times in the head and chest and died 10 days later. The Tucson citizen ran an article saying, quote, a small man with a big ego was shanked in the Arizona State Prison in Florence. That's a good way to describe him. Yeah, very, very well. Yeah. His parents refused to claim his body, so he was laid to rest in the prison cemetery. He did not receive a single visitor during his time as prisoner. So, what do you think about this case, Becky? It's a crazy one. It's just, again, it's just amazing to me that so many just could follow him blindly. Yeah, it's really sad. And Aline Rowe was just completely innocent in all of it. She just thought she was going to go hang out with some older teens and was just lured by all these people and she probably felt safe it was a double date she wasn't alone with somebody she she trusted mary you know and i mean same with wendy though she was an innocent child yeah that you know she had to witness her sister's death i mean she knew what was going on in the other room Mm -hmm. and i'm sure she was just scared not knowing what to do yeah With Gretchen, he just couldn't handle how feisty she was. She just wanted him to not be cheating on her, and he couldn't handle that. But you know what? They were toxic together. I mean, of course, Gretchen is a victim here. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But... Those two were not good together. No, they definitely were not. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And Schmidt's bizarre look. I mean, the pancake makeup, the fake beauty mark, the plaster on the nose. Just weirdo. Yeah. And with his cowboy boots, he was just so insecure about his height with having to add in the tin can so Mm -hmm. that he could be higher. It's just so sad. Yeah. And, you know, Richie, he's not innocent, but he surely cracked this case for the cops. I mean, we would not be telling the story. Yeah. I, I think that I think that. Schmin would have gotten away with it, don't you think? I think he would have gotten away with it. I think he would have gone on to kill more people and the story would have been different. I think that You're Richie right. probably saved some people's lives in coming forward at this point. He stopped like the craziness going on down there in Tucson. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Without him, would it have been solved? Who knows? So, yeah, but we love Tucson. Have you been to Tucson, Mel? I have been to Tucson, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love Tucson. It's a great little town and we're really glad that. Schmidt's no longer there causing trouble. Yes, I agree. And until next time, keep your hands clean.